Thank you for joining me for uh, my reading of excerpts from my novel, The Nature of Truth. Um, the novel revolves around Helmut Sanchez, who is a 26-year-old research assistant in uh, Yale University. And uh, Helmut is half German and half Mexican, and he is on his way to be with his mother in New Mexico. But uh, after he leaves Germany, he uh, gets a job at Yale and is a research assistant for Werner Hofgardner, who is 74 years old and is a professor uh, who is about to retire. Um, on one of his, on one of Helmut's um, forays into the library, he discovers this old letter that uh, says some terrible things about the Holocaust. And so this section I'm reading um, involves his discovery of this letter and what he should do. And uh, also he overhears uh, his boss next door. After two hours, Helmut was almost done touching up the Crystal Wolf bibliography. There was one reference he'd have to check tomorrow at Sterling. Maybe Mr. Atwater could give him a hand. But the writing was finished, and Helmut could give it confidently to the old man for his final comments. And that would be that. In just under two weeks, Professor Hofgartner would be in Europe, and Helmut would be more or less free for the first half of the summer. Free except for that. These pages in a blue folder. An odd and obscure little thing Helmut had almost forgotten about while he had been with Ariana. A couple of pages of German prose that had gripped his heart like a bloody, rotted hand from the grave. A curse, really. A door banged shut at one of the end of the basement hallway. Only one final exam was in progress in the Harkness basement, and it had started two hours ago. Helmut heard quick, short footsteps on the linoleum floor. She walked by again, without so much as a glance into his open office. In her short black skirt and black blouse, she almost melted into the hallway darkness except for her beautiful young legs. Helmut heard her rap against the door next to his. Was Werner Hofgardner still here? Helmut had forgotten to check for a sliver of light underneath the professor's door when he returned from lunch. That had been careless of him. Helmut heard the professor's door open and she walked in. She wasn't, of course, the only she, yet she was certainly the most exquisite, terribly young and tender, absolutely bold, not the least bit careful or doubtful or guilty. In a way she reminded him of Ariana, and in a way she did not. Ariana Sassolini was loving and passionate, and not just voracious. Helmut closed his door and locked it. He stepped beside the computer keyboard, saved his work, and turned the machine off. Murmurs now seemed to emanate from the wall he shared with the Jonathan P. Harkness Professor of Literature and Philosophy. He could occasionally hear a word or two through the ventilation grate on the wall, a foot from the floor. He slid into his reading chair with a book on his lap. The blue folder was next to him, the professor in one of his conquests, the very best one. Ya, meine Schöne, ya. It comes to all of us from nowhere, Helmut thought. This cursed evil. Why me? I am not even a part of that generation. 
I should simply stop reading these pages, ignore them. None of my business at all. Let evil fuck up the world for all I care. Why should I give a damn? Please, dear God, what should I do? I'm sick of this feeble mind. Ach, nein, hier, besser. Ja, viel besser, mein Liebling. First I should find out the facts, Helmut thought. I don't even know anybody's exact involvement. It could be a horrible mistake on my part. Should I tell Ariana about my suspicions? Maybe I should find out the truth first, piece by piece. A methodical investigation. Certainly I'm good at that. Mein Gott! Mein Gott! What terrible rubbish, Helmut thought. What abyss of words. It will never end even with my grandchildren. It was simply a nightmare. My blood. I can't escape that. But then again, why escape? Why not confront and act now? I should at least find out who it really is. Exactly who. These words. The thought and prose of that nightmare. My God. Yeah, 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 mein God. Yeah, mein God. Oh, mein lieber God. Helmut Sanchez carefully balanced the blue folder on his knee. The room was finally quiet. Slowly he read the German words. These carefully chosen words, the style rhythmic and assured, the logic clear, almost convincing, finally ghoulish. He heard a door slam shut, and the same harried little footsteps stomped down the empty hallway again. After a few seconds, he heard a faraway door close like a muffled explosion, an echo. When he had read the essay, Why I Am Neither Guilty Nor Ashamed, for the first time this weekend, he had been expecting nothing out of the ordinary. But as one word led to another, and an idiotic thought connected to a dangerous one, Helmut couldn't believe his eyes. These words. He wanted to stop reading. He wanted to will himself back in time before he had ever set eyes on these words. He read the pages to the better end again, and put them in a blue folder. Maybe the utter shock of reading them was greater because Helmut had been expecting nothing when he had picked up the pages this past weekend. If you open a closet door where your winter coats are stored for the season and find instead the red wormy head of Mrs. Johnson from across the street on a spike, then you too might be especially shocked out of your mind. Helmut heard Hofgartner's door close with a soft click. The knob was jiggled once and then twice to check the lock. And then more footsteps, plodding softly, nearly gliding, made their way down the hallway too. Did they almost pause in front of his door? Of course not. It was Helmut's imagination again. After a few minutes he heard the faraway door close again. These words more than 35 years old, from an obscure literary journal. Why I am neither guilty nor ashamed, the language still evoking the bitter copper stink of blood in the air, a fog of blood. This is Sergio Troncoso again. As uh, Helmut begins his pursuit uh, to find out the truth behind this 40-year-old letter that he finds in the Yale Library, there is a parallel storyline but involving the present uh, pursuit of Truth, um, and this one is focused on Professor Regina Newman. Professor Newman basically wants to charge Werner Hofgardner um, with sexual harassment before Hofgardner retires at the end of the year. So 
So in this scene that I'm reading, uh, Professor Newman is attempting to convince and somewhat force a young graduate student, Sarah Goodman, into filing formal charges against Helmut's boss. Professor Newman was a particularly difficult character to understand. She inhabited many dissimilar worlds, and yet she was not insane. To her students and younger colleagues, she was a stern taskmaster, a brilliant poet, a perceptive essayist, and even a loyal mentor, if you could crack the shell of severity that encased her. The quality of her mind had never been questioned, even by the older gentlemen, most of them European-born, who had anointed her to a tenured position over a decade ago. Newman produced not only exemplary literary criticism, but more astonishingly, was an original and greatly admired writer in her own right. She had the heart of a poet, the mind of a logician. That was Regina Newman. But even Regina Newman had flaws. Her white, almost phosphorescent skin, next to her short jet black hair, betrayed a certain fragility. Most students interpreted this luminosity for mental brilliance, and in a way it played a role in her success in the predatory environs of the academy. But a true wolf would have, could have easily cut through this facade and smelled the fear, the weakness that lurked in her eyes. At Yale they knew Regina Newman had never married, that she dated only occasionally. Her parents were German and yet she had lived her adult life in Canada. Finally they knew she loved her work and never to disturb her when she didn't want to be disturbed. The old lines in the department had even seen her as almost a perfect match, an excellent scholar of German poetry, a non-political recluse, and a woman to boot. Their little den would be left intact and for a while anyway, spared the political pressures of the diversity crowd. Sarah, hello, take a seat, Newman said. I called you to discuss something terribly important, a private matter first, but also something that concerns this department. Okay, Sarah said almost in a whisper. Before we get into this, I want you to know I'm your friend here. You haven't done anything wrong. I'm just trying to help you. This is about Werner Hofgardner. Okay, she said. I understand. Yet Sarah Goodman didn't understand. She didn't want any trouble. She was afraid of this woman. She was afraid her Yale dream was metamorphosing into her worst nightmare. Who was Regina Newman? Sarah certainly didn't know. For several years now, Newman began, I have heard rumors that Professor Hofgardner has been having affairs with undergraduate and even graduate students. I've decided to do something about it. If these rumors are true, then as you know, they violate the most basic academic and ethical standards. I've talked to several students this summer. You're not alone. I'm on your side. Thanks, but I don't know what to say, Professor Newman. Just tell me the truth. You don't need to go into details. What'll happen to him? I mean, he's about to retire, isn't he? Whatever he might have done, he's actually helped me a lot. No one is trying to hurt anyone here, Newman said firmly. What needs to be avoided is the abuse of students. I am only trying to find out the truth. If it happens that Bernard Hofgartner did violate Yale's policy, then he might receive a reprimand or a more severe penalty. But the question now is whether he'll ever be held accountable for his actions. That sounds like vengeance. 
Sarah retorted without thinking. Vengeance? Regina Newman said swiftly. Her black coal eyes pierced Sarah Goodman like arrows. Sarah, we're talking about justice, about doing the right thing. You may have had a good relationship with Professor Hofgardner, but if he did have a sexual relationship with you, he was abusing his position. He was using you. I think we should stop this kind of manipulation and exploitation, don't you? Well, yeah, but manipulation and exploitation, that's not what happened. I'm not sure what did happen. I don't want to characterize it wrongly. I just want the truth, Sarah. You're a good student, but I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking there's some ambiguity about Yale's policy. To put it bluntly, the question is whether or not Hofgardner slept with you. Even if you weren't in his class at the time, you were still in his department. That constitutes an abuse of power, if it happened, did it? It's not as easy as you think, Sarah blurted out. I, I only want to do the best I can at Yale. I don't need this, she said in a muffled squeak. I'm sorry, Sarah. Please, here. Professor Newman handed her a white tissue. How about some coffee? Thanks. Be right back. When Professor Newman returned with two styrofoam cups of coffee, a reassuring smile was on her phosphorescent face. Yet her eyes were still sharp. Professor Newman, I'm okay, really, Sarah said, the hot coffee inciting her empty stomach into a growl. I thought about it. I don't really want to get involved. Nothing terrible has happened to me because of Professor Hofgardner. I may have made a mistake, but I'm really okay. Well, Sarah, I'm afraid it's not that simple. This problem goes beyond you. If these allegations are true and you haven't yet given me an answer, then they affect many past and present students. Don't you want to stop this kind of thing from happening to other students? Of course I do. Well, if we don't do something about it now, we're only helping to support the atmosphere in which this happens. I'll be on your side from start to finish. I appreciate that, Professor, but I don't want to be involved like this. Nothing terrible happened to me, Sarah said in an exasperated tone. She wanted simply to stand up and leave. Let me be perfectly clear. I've talked to other students, Sarah. They said basically the same thing. All of them were undergraduates or former graduate students. You're the only graduate student still here. We don't have a choice. We must work together on this. What do you say? All right, Sarah said slowly, terrified at not only being alone in the department, but also being the target of a senior professor's wrath. There was no way out. I slept with Professor Hofgardner last year, in January. Good, very good. It's just one more step that's necessary for this to become an official matter. You need to repeat these words to the chairman, Professor Otto. Don't worry, I'll be with you. I'll set up a meeting for tomorrow and call you. Okay, Sarah said almost inaudibly. She was about to burst into tears. She said goodbye and nearly sprinted out that suffocating room. So the next day, this section that I'm about to read, um, before the next day, Professor Otto calls his colleague and friend, 
Werner Hofgardner and gives him a heads up as to what Regina Newman has planned. Uh, Hofgardner gets in touch with Sarah Goodman and offers her a deal in exchange basically for her silence and acquiescence. So um, this is a scene in the office of Professor Otto and of course Newman does not know that a deal had been struck behind her back. There was a soft knock at the door. A stone-faced Sarah Goodman walked in and sat across from Professor Otto at a conference table to one side of the expansive office. Professor Newman sat a few chairs away at one end of the table. Please sit down, Miss Goodman. Make yourself comfortable. Would you like a cup of coffee? Okay, Sarah said meekly, glancing at Regina Newman, who offered her the slightest of smiles and a comforting wink. Ariana, Otto said quickly into the telephone, could you please bring Sarah a cup of coffee and please call Rooney in the president's office and tell her I'll be in the budget meeting after all. He hung up the phone. Now, Sarah, I want you to be at ease here. Whatever you say, of course, is strictly confidential. I know you've talked to Professor Newman already, and I want you to know I'm glad that you did. If for some reason our graduate students are in trouble, or are being subjected to unethical behavior by members of the faculty, we want to know about it. We want to help you, and I will personally do everything I can to help you, and so will Yale. Okay? Okay. The secretary brought a cup of coffee and left it in front of Sarah. Now, Sarah, is that okay if I call you Sarah? Sure, she said, smiling. I don't really know you, but I do remember your application. From Iowa, right? That's right. Okay, I want you to tell me in your own words what happened between you and Werner Hofgartner. Just tell me what you can say comfortably, that's all. Nothing's happened. I have a good working relationship with Professor Hofgardner, Sarah said clearly, brushing back her blonde hair easily. She took a gulp from her coffee. Sarah! Regina Newman gasped. Sarah, let's take this slowly and calmly. Professor Otto glanced at Professor Hofgardner. You have nothing to fear. I want you to tell me the truth. Has Professor Hofgartner ever sexually harassed you in any way? No, not at all. He's been the best professor I've had at Yale. A perfect gentleman, she said, her eyes riveted on Otto's head. Just a few minutes, she thought, and it'll be all over. What are you saying? Newman exclaimed. Sarah, this is incredible! She pushed her seat away from the table. Her face was bright red. Her small shoulders were shaking. Sarah, listen to me carefully. I want you to tell me the truth. Otto repeated, holding up his hand at Newman to stop her in her tracks. His eyes were fixed on the stoic, oddly carefree young woman. Did you or did you not tell Professor Newman yesterday that you had an affair with Werner Hofgartner? No, I did not. The skin on her face began to pulse. You've never had a sexual relationship with Professor Hofgartner? Otto shot back as if slapping her. No, of course not. You lying, stinking bitch! Regina exploded, suddenly standing up in an utter rage. Regina, my goodness! Otto exclaimed, suddenly wheeling around to face his colleague. Sit down and calm yourself before you make another 
grave mistake. Newman face was contorted. Her black coal eyes wanted so much to kill. But Otto's serious, forceful words finally reached her, and she sat down, still transfixed, on Sarah Goodman. I want to apologize, Professor Otto said, on behalf of my colleague for that outburst. There is no excuse for that. That's all right. Sarah said like a lifeless doll pointed stupidly at Victor Otto. Are you absolutely sure you don't want to tell us anything? Otto asked slowly. I've told you the truth. Thank you. You can leave now, Miss Goodman. As soon as Sarah closed the office door, she heard an amazing clamor, an unrelenting flood of obscenities and near words and screams. The secretary, Ariana Sassolini, seemed stunned at her desk. Sarah walked out quickly into the bright fall afternoon. She was already late for the first meeting of the German table at Trumbull College. So eventually these two uh, storylines converge. Helmut looking for the truth in the past, the truth behind this Holocaust denial letter, and Regina Newman trying to make sure Werner Hofgartner does not escape accountability for what he has done to so many students. Um, you know, often when I have read across the country for this novel, um, I'm asked a, a, a question, or a, a related question, um, which is, you know, who, who do you identify with? Sergio, who do you think is mostly like you or about you of these characters in the novel? And I, I have to say, you know, of course, I think Helmut is in many ways like me in the sense of uh, he's a person who's trying to find out about his identity, in part his German background and his Mexican background confuse him, but also put him on the border, so to speak, of two cultures, two places, two languages. And I'm not German, of course, but, um, you know, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and so this sense of being on the border, of having to define and make my identity, of my identity being a question at all, is certainly part of me and part of Helmut. And I think uh, another way Helmut, I think, is very uh, much like me, is that I, you know, I tend to be righteous, uh, sometimes a bit of a, a SOB about it, um, you know, in part because I don't like to see injustice. It really bothers me uh, to see something wrong, to see somebody abusing somebody else. And, and sometimes, you know, I do have a big mouth and I get involved and I, uh, you know, push ahead into making sure that that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, I won't stand by. That's not the kind of person I am, nor the kind of person I have ever been. And so I think the sense of Helmet being consumed by justice, by righteousness, by doing the right thing and what he should do, uh, is definitely also a part of me. Um, and I think also the last, lastly, uh, that Helmut is a, an academic, that he loved literature, that he loved reading in libraries. You know, that is me. Um, I have always been a bookworm and loved reading. And words do matter. You know, what is printed, what is said uh, on the page, you know, does matter and deeply. So uh, that Helmut takes it so seriously, something that was written 40 years ago, and uh, reorients his life is definitely something that, that uh, is like me. Um, 
you know, books and words do matter, stories do matter, and there's a moral truth or, or falsity behind so many work, and we need to ferret it out and debate it and discuss it, and, um, and I think that's, that's also reflected in the Helmet character. But also, I, I feel I identify quite a lot with Sarah Goodman. Um, you know, I came from a very poor background. I grew up on the Mexican-American border in Isleta, right outside the outskirts of El Paso, Texas, in a colonia, you know, with uh, no running water and an outhouse in the backyard. And so when I ended at Harvard and then later at Yale as a graduate student, I felt so completely out of place. I felt uh, like a Martian, you know, really. Um, and, um, and I think Sarah Goodman's insecurities about who she is about whether she belongs at Yale, whether she's good enough. Uh, all these things are a part of me too. Uh, I had to struggle and fight within myself and also with the people around me to prove myself, to feel that I belong, to fight against my inner demons of thinking, you know, maybe Harvard and Yale made a mistake and I shouldn't be here. And uh, so that I think part of Sarah Goodman um, is me as well. Uh, I think the other way in which Sarah Goodman is reflected in me is that, um, you know, I think when you're starting from the background that I did, you know, you do whatever it takes to, to realize your dream, to find that your voice, to write when everybody else says, you know, it's stupid to write, or it's stupid to write books, or, you know, why are you doing that? Why don't you become a banker or a lawyer or... You know, why don't you go get a job making money, uh, or more money? <laughs> and uh, and so I, uh, I think anyone who tries to do something artistic and, you know, the tides uh, is, is against you, and, um, and you need to fight for what you want, and, and sometimes you need to fight for legitimacy. And so uh, that sense of Sarah being insecure yet wanting to fight for legitimacy for you know, coming out of a, a place where maybe people don't uh, think that you have anything good to say or anything important to say to the, you know, the, the, the rich or the, the very uh, educated at Yale and Harvard, you know, that is also part of me. I think I, I remember recently reading a book, um, it's called uh, The Will of the World, about William Shakespeare and how he made sort of a transformation from um, you know, from the outskirts uh, of London where he grew up, you know, from, from, from a, a little city, I think it was Avon, and what he had to do to recreate himself to uh, not just the work, but the, 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 you know, in some ways the lies, the fabrications, as you're grasping for the truth, as you're grasping to find legitimacy within yourself, as you're fighting for people to pay attention to you, to better your craft, I think, you know, th that kind of fight is what Sarah Goodman is going for. You know, you some people just want to condemn her and say, well, you know, she's sleeping with her professor and she is uh, doing something that she shouldn't be doing. And, and that's true, but on the other hand, I understand her. I know why she's doing that. She's just fighting, fighting for survival in a place that crushes identity and uh, that is constantly testing you. And so I think uh, that kind of struggle I have gone through as well. And um, so I think Sarah Goodman definitely is a part of me as well. So thank you very much for, 
you know, sitting with me and listening to the nature of truth and my my reading of it in a few comments at the end. Uh, I really value my readers. My readers are everything, and uh, the few, you know the people who have read my my novel and have uh, written to me from my website. You know, I respond to them, uh, and I, I love them. I think it's important to uh, any writer, um, you know, someone who reads your work seriously and thinks about what you're doing. Um, you know, often things are read so quickly, and there's no thought process involved as to what really, what was the author trying to do? What he, did he actually do on these pages? And uh, how was he challenging? You know, perhaps. Um, the status quo, and, and not just in Latino literature, but in American literature, and uh, trying to change even the way people look at the Renaissance and the pursuit of truth at places like Harvard and Yale, and whether that is uh, a, a good way to pursue the truth. Um, and um, so there, there are, I think, from my point of view, from my philosophical background, there are deep questions that I try to wrestle with in this novel. And, uh, and I want to say thank you to any reader who has read this novel and, and, uh, and gotten something out of it. Um, I value you, and I hope to write many more novels for you. Thank you very much. <laughs>